There is only one physician who is both flesh and spirit, who is both born and yet unborn, God and man, true life and death, both from Mary and from God, first subject to suffering and then beyond it, Jesus Christ our Lord. For our God, Jesus Christ, was conceived by Mary according to God's plan, both from the seed of David and of the Holy Spirit. Well, believe it or not, that was written roughly 2,000 years ago by a church father by the name of Ignatius, writing an epistle before his martyrdom to the Ephesians. And here we have someone living after the apostles, a very short while after the apostles, writing to the church in Ephesus, which we see in Scripture was started by Paul, and reminding them of what that church had already been believing for many years now. The incredible mystery of the Incarnation. Of God and man. From Mary, from David, yet from the Holy Spirit. Our great and only physician of the soul. As a matter of fact, what you will find, as we talked a lot about this at our... Uh, at Sunday school this morning, Christology, the study of Christ, has been one of the most important doctrines and most discussed doctrines for all of Christian history, and rightfully so. Almost all of the debates that took place between the Christian church and the Gentile world, and even within the inter-Christian uh, debates that have happened in the earliest centuries of the church were not just about the Trinity, but even very specifically about who is Jesus. How do we make sense of this great character from Scripture, this great person in history? And so that is what we do at Advent. We, Christmas time is when we remember not only the gospel, but specifically the incarnation. And it forces us to meditate on and remember these great mysteries of the Christian faith. Specifically, who is Jesus? In, in a certain sense, you can almost feel like we don't need to do this every year. How often do I need to preach a story about the birth of Christ? How, how many sermons about Jesus' birth does a pastor need to preach? But there is quite a lot to unpack in these old familiar stories. There is quite a lot to remember, quite a lot to re-examine. And so really it's quite a blessing that we have culturally created an opportunity once a year to spend time focusing specifically on who exactly is Jesus. Who exactly was it that was born in Bethlehem? And so we are beginning a month-long sermon series titled Those Old Familiar Stories. And we are going to preach through the birth narratives. And we are going to be reminded of truth, some basic, some complex. Most you probably already know. But they're important for us to remember, to read again, and to meditate on one more time. But what's interesting about our text this morning is that we are not actually preaching the birth of Christ yet because before Christ was born, he was announced. And there is great significance to the announcement of Jesus' birth. So if you would please turn with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and we are going to begin in verse 26. Uh, moments before this, uh, the Gospel of Luke records 
the foretelling of John the Baptist's birth. And then the author Luke moves to the much more significant birth of Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 1 beginning in verse 26. If you would follow along for these are the very words of God. In the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Well, this is quite an incredible scene. I think it's hard for us when we read it to, to really wrap our heads around how incredible this scene is. So but before we break down you know, the structure and the, the, the thesis of the sermon, if you will, I want to just put this in context for a moment. In the sixth month, which is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Gabriel, it's one thing just to have an angel appear to you. That's incredible. Just as it is. That's amazing. But this is, isn't just any old angel, as if you could even talk about the angels in glory as being any old angel. This is Gabriel. This is like the head honcho of the angels, the, the leader of the heavenly hosts. The, the Gabriel who the book of Jude talks about had a war with Satan over the body of Moses. Gabriel who appeared to Daniel and prophesied the coming of Christ. I mean, this is like one of the greatest creatures that God has ever created. He's a warrior angel. And so we're talking Gabriel. But where does this incredible, powerful angel appear? In Nazareth. That might not mean much to us. There is an interesting verse in the book of John, 14, chapter 14, verse 6, where someone is talking about this amazing man, Jesus from Nazareth. And you want to know how Philip responds? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Or forgive me, Nathaniel said that, and Philip says, come and see. It tells you a little bit about the Jewish mindset of Nazareth. Nobody cared about Nazareth. This was a worthless town. It was right on the border of the Gentile world. And so a lot of Jews just kind of considered it just as basically just a Gentile city. Nobody cared about Nazareth. So we have the most worthless town in all of Israel. No one cares about this worthless little Nazareth. And not only that, we have Nazareth, but we have, take center stage at the beginning of this text, and I don't mean this in a derogatory sense, but it's just true, a, a no-name person, Mary. 
Mary has no significance. I mean, I, I take it back. She has a little. She's a descendant of David. That matters in Jewish history. So she's got some, you know, royal bloodline. So that's kind of cool. But she's not this, she's not a queen. She's not this woman of great wealth and power. She's not an experienced mother of ten. She's a virgin. She's just a girl named Mary. As a matter of fact, it tells us that she was betrothed to a man named Joseph. That's an engagement process. And the typical age that a girl in this time would get engaged to a man was 13. So Mary is give or take 13 to 16 years old. And her husband, by the way, is not that significant. We don't know much about Joseph. He wasn't super wealthy. He wasn't super famous. So we have this random Jewish family and this random virgin teenager in the most unliked city in all of Israel. And here comes Gabriel. This is amazing. And by the way, that explains Mary's consternation. How does Mary respond to all this? Verse 29. Oh, by the way, let me take a step back. Not only does Gabriel show up to this random virgin teenager in this unlike nobody cares about city, but he shows up and the first thing he says is, Oh, favored one. He takes this little virgin teenager and says, Oh, you, the, the favored one, the blessed one. And so Mary is filled with fear and confusion. The verse 29, the ESV renders it, but she was greatly troubled at the saying. And she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Right? We can't, we can't read that language like scientifically. Like Mary was not, she wasn't, you know, just an inquisitor. I, I wonder what the nature of this greeting is. She is filled with trouble and fear. In other words, in layman's term, Mary is thinking, what is going on? I'm not, the, I'm not some favored one. I think Gabriel's got the wrong girl. I, I remember not long ago before we moved here, I was doing a little uh, goodbye uh, get together with some of my friends and it was late at night and Alamosa's very, very high elevation wise and so you have a great view of the stars and we didn't know what it was at the time but we did some research and we found out what it was. Elon Musk has a this big long chain of satellites that he has launched into orbit and I can't remember, something with a global Wi-Fi or you know, he's always up to something crazy. Um, but every now and then people on earth can see it. My sister just saw it, sent a picture of me. But we didn't know what it was at the time. And what it looks like is it looks like a string of about a hundred stars that are all perfectly placed distance apart. And it just comes zooming over you. It's like, imagine a shooting star, but there's a hundred of them in perfect procession just flying. I mean, it felt like an alien invasion. And I remember, I didn't know they were satellites at the time. It just looked like, we we're just like, what is this string of stars and all of us, we were just mesmerized. We tried to take pictures, but you just, it just didn't look. You couldn't really in the camera. But you know what was amazing? It was kind of fearful. Like, it was very eerie. Like, I just felt so small. And I just felt so clueless. What is happening in the universe that I don't even know about? And so here's what I want us to imagine. If a string of satellites could make me tremble... I want you to imagine Gabriel appearing out of the sky and addressing you by name. And you're 13 years old. 
in Nazareth. This is amazing what's happening here. So why? Why would Gabriel condescend? Why would he, in his excellency, make such a show? Well, that's because we know that Mary is really not the center stage actor here. Something very, very significant is about to take place. Perhaps the most significant thing that has ever happened. The birth of Jesus Christ, our Lord. So why is this so significant? Why the drama? Why the story? Well, here are... Well, Jesus is the reason it's so significant. Now, what's so significant about Jesus? Well, Gabriel is going to give us his quick version of why Jesus is so significant. And in the process, he's going to give us six reasons that we are going to look at. Six Christmas reminders, if you will, of why Jesus was so significant. What was so significant about Jesus, who here is being proclaimed to be born? Well, the first thing we see is that Jesus was born of a virgin. Jesus was miraculously conceived. The text says in verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. So Gabriel comes to a young virgin. The text I mean, tells us she's a virgin, but it also tells us she's engaged. And even though Jewish engagement was very different from American engagement, the one thing that they had in common was that when you were engaged, it was still not the time to, to be intimate. with. It was still, that was still not okay. So the text basically twice tells us that she's a virgin. She's a virgin and she ain't married. She's a virgin. And yet, this virgin, Gabriel says, by the way, you're about to have a baby. Congratulations. This is like, not technically, this is like the greatest gender reveal of all time, if you will. Jesus is miraculously conceived. Literally, this was an impossible event. Scientifically, humanly speaking, this is impossible. It can't happen. It doesn't happen. But the angel Gabriel is going to remind us that that is no problem to God. And now it's important for us to understand that Mary is interpreting Gabriel's timeline very well here. Because it would be easy for us to say, well, yeah, he, he appeared to a virgin and he told her you're going to have a child. But I mean, she's engaged. She was probably planning on having a child pretty soon anyway. But no, Mary knows what Gabriel's saying. She knows Gabriel is saying, you are very, very soon going to conceive a child. Before you're married, before you're intimate with your future husband, very soon. We know she interprets in that way because she asks him in verse 34, how can any of this be since I'm a virgin? She knows what he's saying. You're going to have a child before you come together with Joseph. Mary was truly a virgin. And so how does Gabriel answer her Verse 35, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. So Gabriel is very clear. Jesus is going to be born. He's going to have an impossible birth. He's going to be born of a virgin because the Holy Spirit is the one who's going to be the power behind this miraculous conception. Not Joseph, the Spirit. So as a, just a really brief side note, isn't it pretty incredible that we are already getting a glimpse into the interworkings of the Trinity in Jesus' birth? The Trinity's right there. The Father has a Son who's conceived by the Spirit. 
We have three different persons interacting with each other right now. The son can't be the father. You can't be the son to yourself. The father has sent his son to be born of Mary. And the spirit is the power that God uses to create this about. You see how the the Trinity is already center stage working in the redemption of God's people. It's incredible. This is an incredible scene. And who knows what Mary thought of that? I have no clue. It's overwhelming. But he is very clear uh, the Spirit is going to conceive this child within you. So you don't have to be worried about being a virgin. And he doubles down on this, reminding her, you already know of another kind of miraculous conception. Verse 36, behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age also conceived a son. So the Holy Spirit is saying, you already know God's powerful enough to do something like this. Elizabeth is barren and God opened up her womb even though it should be closed. So this shouldn't be that difficult for us to understand that God is powerful enough to do such a thing. Which is why he tells her, verse 37, nothing is impossible with God. Jesus was born of a virgin. That's probably, you've probably heard that before. It's important to remember though because you see, the world loves to attack this doctrine. The world loves to go after this doctrine. Whether it be secularists or liberal-minded Christians, they love to go after the virgin birth and deny the virgin birth. It's very clear in the text. But they not only deny it, but one of the things I love is people love to talk about how the virgin birth is not unique. And they love to make this claim. There's this old claim that that goes on in academia that uh, the Jesus narrative was ripped off from these old pagan myths. That there's all these other pagan stories that they have a son of God and that son of God was born of a virgin and they all predate Christianity. So Christianity is just another one of those myths, right? It's amazing how, how widely this, this claim has circulated because it's just patently untrue. It's, it's just a lie. Like sometimes when people attack the Christian faith, what they're saying is technically true, but they're just manipulating the way you interpret it. But this isn't even technically true. It's just a lie. If, if you ever hear someone claim that all these pagan myths had a virgin birth, just very, very easy to refute it. Ready? I'll give you two words. Show me. Prove it. They can't do it. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. What people are referring to is there's these old pagan stories where gods were created from immaterial or from material inanimate objects. So I think one, if I remember correctly, is like the god cuts himself and he bleeds onto a rock and then the son of God grows from the blood in the rock. And they call that a virgin birth story. Because, I mean, no copulation happened. That's not a virgin birth. Okay, that's a lie. Those are just creation myths of some weird God being created out of something. This is altogether unique in history. Altogether unique. This is an amazing thing. That God would conceive Jesus from a virgin. But it matters. It matters that we believe this. Let me give you just a few reasons why the virgin birth is so important. Number one, it was prophesied. The Old Testament actually prophesied that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. There's some debate because the word in the Hebrew could be virgin or it could just be a young lady. They have the same word and the context is difficult. But the New Testament gives us an inspired interpretation of that and tells us it's a virgin. The Old Testament prophesied a virgin birth. So if Jesus is not born of a virgin, he's not the Messiah. And if he's not the Messiah, then he can't save you from your sins. So the virgin birth matters a lot. Additionally, the purpose of the virgin birth is to show us the significance of Jesus. Right? 
God wanted him to be conceived in a way altogether unlike anybody else because he is altogether unlike anybody else. Nobody can claim to be born of a virgin. Only Christ. Because even John, John had a miraculous conception. But what Gabriel's trying to do is show us that Jesus is even greater. John is a very unique man. Jesus calls him the greatest of all the prophets. John is an amazing man. But Jesus is better. And his birth was better. The virgin birth reminds us of the significance of this person that was born. The virgin birth is also extremely fitting because Jesus is the Son of God. The text tells us that. We're going to look at those verses a little bit later. But the text tells us he is the Son of the Most High. He is the Son of God. Now, Jesus is eternally the Son of God. So what we're not saying is that when Jesus was born into Bethlehem without a human father, then he became the Son of God. A lot of people think of it in those terms. Like because God conceived Christ, that's what made Christ the Son of God. But that's actually not true. That's what the Mormons say, but that's not true. If you read all of the ancient Christian creeds, they will call Jesus this interesting phrase, they will call him eternally begotten. The Son of God is a title that Jesus had in eternity. He was born and manifested the Son of God. The Son of God came to earth, but this was something he's always been. He is the Son of God. And so the fact that Jesus is God's Son, it's fitting that when he came to earth, God made sure he didn't have a human father. Because we need to be reminded, this is God's son, not, not Joseph's. This is God's son. So the virgin birth is very fitting to who Jesus is. But lastly, and this moves us on to point number two, why is the virgin birth so important? Well, we've looked at three reasons already, but the text, the text itself gives us a reason. What does the text say in verse 35? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore... So here's why Jesus was born of a virgin. The child to be born will be called holy. Point number two, what's significant about Jesus? He was born holy, pure, undefiled. Remember, Jesus became a human, but there's something that's common to human beings right now that we don't want common to Jesus. And what is it? Sin. We are sons and daughters of Adam. We inherit a sinful nature by being born sons and daughters of Adam. But Jesus was not born a son of Adam. He was born the new Adam. He came to reverse Adam. As Romans literally calls him, the new Adam. So Jesus was born, he was miraculously conceived, and the text tells us that that is why we can say he was fully human, but he did not inherit original sin the way we did. Now, uh, the church has speculated how scientifically does this work? Does that mean that sin is passed only through the, the male DNA? And people have espoused that. The text doesn't give us the details, but here's the point. We don't need the details. It, it doesn't matter what the details are. The text is very clear. Because he was immaculately conceived, therefore he shall be holy. So however you want to work the math out in your head, I'll leave that to you. But the point is, is if, the virgin, if Jesus is not born of a virgin, then he inherits a sin nature. And now we're worshiping a sinful Messiah. The virgin birth matters a lot. But this is, additionally though, this is one of the things that makes Jesus so unique. He wasn't just born of a virgin unlike everyone else in human history. Because even Adam and Eve, they were created. They were never born. Jesus is the only person who was born perfect. 
Jesus inherited the kind of nature that Adam first had before the fall, fully human, but without sin. He shall be called holy. By the way, this is also really important because the Old Testament prophecy was that the Messiah would be undefiled, pure, holy, unblemished. That's why the foreshadows, the types, the animal sacrifices, you couldn't just get rid of the, the runt of the, of, of the group. You know, you've you got to sacrifice a lamb. Well, this one's uh, sick and old and has got a broken leg. Get rid of that one. We don't need it anyway. No, you had to give the pure lamb, the unspotted lamb, the unblemished, undefiled lamb. You had to give the best of the best. And this was to foreshadow that Christ would come and be unblemished, pure, undefiled, holy. He was perfect from the moment of his conception. Jesus was born of a virgin. Jesus is holy. But the text at the very beginning, going back to the beginning, tells us not just that Gabriel appeared to Mary, but he appeared to Mary who was engaged to Joseph. And what's significant about that? Look at verse 27. To a virgin betrothed to a man named, whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Gabriel threw that in there for a reason. Mary goes back to Joseph, or forgive me, Mary goes back to David genealogically, and Joseph goes back to David genealogically. So both of Jesus' parents, his biological birth mom and his adopted dad, are both descendants of David. So what we know about Jesus is no matter how you slice it, he is a true descendant of David. And that's why Gabriel told us this. Jesus came as the son of David. He is a descendant of David. By the way, this is one of the more famous titles for Jesus throughout the gospel narratives. The blind man, one of the blind men who's hoping to be seen, son of David, give me sight. In the book of Matthew, when Jesus is debating the scribes and the Pharisees, there's an amazing scene. I got to preach on it one time. I titled that sermon, King of the Hill. Because Jesus is having this duel with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And the Sadducees ask Jesus a question and he refutes them. And then the Pharisees ask Jesus a question and then he refutes them. And then Jesus says, whoa, 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 don't go anywhere. You guys got to ask a question. I get to ask a question now. And you know what Jesus' question is? He quotes from Psalm 110.1, the most quoted verse in all of the New Testament, which is a Psalm of David where David describes the Messiah as his Lord. David says that my, the Lord said to my Lord, you shall sit at my right hand. And so here's the question Jesus asks to the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And by the way, after he asked this question, you know what the text says? They couldn't answer him and they refused to ask Jesus any more questions. He owns them with this one question. He says this, if the Messiah is David's descendant, why does David call him Lord? That doesn't make sense. David is the elder Shouldn't the great-great-great-great-grandson be paying respect to his elder? And not just David is an elder. David is like David. He's the king of Israel. He's one of the patriarchs of the faith. So this great-great-great-grandson, his great-grand-elder dad is like one of the, probably the second most important person in all of Jewish history. And yet David says, no, he's my Lord. It makes no sense outside of high Christology. But the point is this, is even Jesus, when Jesus is going after the Pharisees and the Sadducees, what does he leverage? The descendancy, the genealogy of David. This is vitally important. Jesus is David's Lord, but he is his grandchild. Jesus is a descendant of David. That's point number three. And point number four 
is why point number three matters so much. Why, why should we care about who, who, who David is to Jesus? Well, point number four, the angel Gabriel tells us, is because Jesus is a king. One of the unique things about Jesus was he was born royalty. He's a king. He was and is a king. And that's the connection to David. Look at what the text says in verse 32 and 33. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus did not just come to atone for sins. Although, I mean, goodness gracious, that's amazing. But he didn't just come, it wasn't like he just came, forgive sins, and leave. Part of the process of Jesus' mission was to forgive sins in the wider context of recreating the world. Jesus came to restore everything, to fix all the broken because the book of Colossians says he has reconciled all things whether on heaven or on earth through the blood of his cross. He came to bring a kingdom. He didn't just come to be a sacrificial lamb. He came to be a king. And the text tells us that he is sitting on David's throne. This harkens us back to the Davidic covenant where God establishes David as king and then makes a covenant with him and says your son, you will have a descendant who will sit on your throne forever. And the problem for the Jews of the first century was Rome overthrew Israel. They didn't have a king. There was no throne. It had been overtaken. So they were all long awaiting the king to return. We're waiting for the return of the king. And Gabriel appears to Mary and says, guess what? The king is here. He's coming to sit on his throne and establish his kingdom. This eternal kingdom that shall have no end. Which, by the way, Mary likely interpreted this as just the Jewish kingdom. But now you see the significance. We've been studying for a while now, not intentionally, just by God's providence, this idea of what we call replacement theology, that Israel is actually the spiritual church now. The kingdom of God has expanded. You see, Jesus did not just come to be king of Israel. Acts chapter 2 tells us that after he resurrected, he ascended to the right hand of God where he reigns over the whole world. And guess what Peter calls that throne? David's. David's throne is not an earthly throne in Jerusalem any longer. It's a heavenly throne over the whole world. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus came to be king of the earth. He was a low-born king. That was royalty born in Bethlehem the greatest of all royalties. Jesus was born of a virgin, number one. Jesus is holy, number two. Jesus is a descendant of David, number three. Jesus is a king, point number four. Point number five, Jesus is human. Right? I mean, we can't let that go overlooked. He was born of a woman. Verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. You see, Jesus came from heaven, but he didn't just float down from the sky. I am here, world. The sun has come. He didn't just have this made-up fake human body that looked like a body and he floated down. He was conceived. He went through a natural birth process. Mary gave him his body the same way we receive our body from our parents. 
This, this happens, we talked about this again this morning in John chapter 6 when Jesus claims to the Jews that he is the bread from heaven. Like the manna, I have come down from heaven and the Jews quarrel among themselves. They go, how can this guy claim to be from heaven? We know his parents. He didn't come from heaven, he was born. But we know that those ideas are not contradictory. He did come from heaven, but he came as a man and he came in the process of human beings. That's why he is a legitimate child of Mary. This wasn't, uh, there, there was actually an ancient heresy where they believed that he wasn't really conceived. He was just kind of put there and then he came out and, and they, they actually described this as like water flowing through a pipe. Mary was just kind of channeled Jesus, but he wasn't truly conceived within her and the Christian church refuted that. No, he, he is of Mary. Mary is his biological mother. Jesus is a real flesh and blood human being. This is really important for him to intercede for us as a man. This is important for him to die for sins. God can't die, but he took on a nature that could die. And he went through all the natural processes that we do, which is quite an incredible thing to think about. But we know as Christians, he is a man, fully man, but that's not all he is, right? Last point, what makes Jesus unique? Verse, or point number six, he's also God. <laughs> he's divine. Gabriel's clear about this. Maybe not clear to English hearers, but clear to Jewish hearers. Look at verse 32. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Who's the Most High? That's God. Jesus is called the Son of God. This comes up again. Look at verse 35. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Make no mistake about it, the Jews recognize this as a divine term. This can be confusing for us because the Bible does use this, this phrase, Son of God, in a, in a general sense that applies to lots of people. Angels are called the Son of God. Human beings, we are called sons and daughters of God. But you see, these are general titles that we inherit. Right? Angels are created, and then God possesses them, and that makes them children. We believe in Christ and then are adopted into God's family, which makes us children. So we are sons of God. But this was a very unique phrase. Jesus is not a son of God. He was the son of God. The Jews understood this was a unique title. By the way, it takes us all the way back to Father Abraham. How many children did Abraham have? Technically two. But guess what Isaac was called? His only begotten. In a spiritual sense, the Bible is very clear about this, Abraham only had one. He technically had two, but he only had one. Isaac is literally called, the Greek interpretation is monogenes. And that shows up in the New Testament, in the book of John, when Jesus is called oh, the only begotten son. Isaac was Abraham's only begotten son. This unique son, there was a unique relationship here that even Ishmael couldn't claim. And that was a foreshadow of, oh yeah, we are all sons of God in a certain sense, but Jesus is his only son. His unique, eternally begotten son. The one who John 1 says was in the beginning with God and was God. 
The son who, Philippians 2 says, was in the form of God but did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being made in the likeness of men. He is the eternally begotten, the one who has always been the son of God. Eternally, forever, he has had that unique relationship with the Father, something no other person or being could ever possibly claim. The one who was in eternity with God is now in Mary's womb. That's incredible. I love to say this, and I mean this wholeheartedly. You can't write a better story. You can't make one up. God is such an incredible storyteller. I dare you, go make up a religion and try to make it more compelling, more fascinating, more interesting, and more amazing than the God of the Bible. Try your best. This is the best story ever told. And it's true. Lord of the Rings is a good story. I'm forcing my wife to watch them. I watch them every Christmas year. I love Lord of the Rings. She's not crazy about them. It's a really good story. I love it. This is way better. This is way better. And it's true. Here's how we can summarize. I've given you six points. What is it that we're remembering about the Christmas story? We're remembering that Jesus was born of a virgin. We're remembering that Jesus is holy, that he's the descendant of David, that he's the king of the world, that he's fully man, but he's also fully God. If you wanted one phrase that encapsulates all of these ideas, it's this. Ready? This is all six sermon points into one thesis. This is what you pay me the big bucks for. Jesus is the Messiah. That's what Luke wanted Mary to know. He's the Messiah. Every one of these points that we just discussed are attributes of what the Old Testament said the Messiah would be. He was prophesied to be born of a virgin. He was prophesied to be a pure, undefiled lamb. He was prophesied to be a descendant of David. He was prophesied to be God. Isaiah 7, Unto us a child shall be born, and he shall be called what? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. The deity of Christ was not a new thing, it was an old thing. But unto us a child shall be born. He was a man. Everything we talked about in this sermon was all what the Old Testament said should happen. What, what Gabriel is telling Mary is all those stories your parents taught you, everything you've been praying for, everything you've been longing for, that great Messiah, King, Son of God, Son of Man, the Daniel figure, the Son of Man, the Son of God, Isaiah 7, all of these things you've been learning, He's here. And God chose you. That's why you are the highly favored one. That's why Gabriel has condescended to Nazareth to announce the birth of the Messiah. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament hopes and promises. All of God's promises find their yes in Jesus Christ. So what are we remembering at Christmas time? The birth of the Messiah, which in the Greek we call Christ. Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, the anointed one of God who has come into the world to save the world.